Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back. Hour number two of this live broadcast. It's Monday. Thank you for tuning in to the network. This is TNT, today's news talk. Whether you're listening, whether you're watching on a video stream, we appreciate your listenership and viewership. And hello to everybody, especially a big appreciation to everybody in the TNT chat community. There we see you piling in. Hopefully we get a high water mark. You guys are going to want to stay around for the next segment, actually, because we have a very special guest uh, this is uh, one of my favorite uh, political commentators, especially on the U.S. scene. Definitely brutally honest. You will get a hot take, an honest hot take from Nico House, who's going to join us in a couple of minutes to talk about how this issue, uh, this crisis in Gaza is shaping U.S. politics, but also how it's dividing certain aspects of the U.S. political scene. It's a very important conversation because we're going into an election cycle in the United States. The 2024 election is coming. It's underway. And what happens now, I think, is going to be very crucial in terms of a foreign policy piece. Uh, what's happening in the Middle East is certainly the biggest. It's got the potential to draw the United States in to a major commitment militarily. It's staking everything. It's putting all of its chips on the table for Israel. Is that going to be good, bad? Is this going to be a liability for the Biden administration? When you see hashtags like Genocide Joe trending on X Twitter, you know that there's a problem brewing. And the uh, previously ironclad coalition of the Democratic Party, the the Progressive Alliance, all of that, everybody, it's a big 10, everybody's happy, only they're not. They're not happy now. They're not together. And a lot of people are getting brigaded on the left politicians. Democrats are getting brigaded. They're not just going after the neocons. They're actually going after the Democrats because the Democrats are calling for no ceasefire. Like the Labour uh, Party in the UK, their sort of complement over there in the UK, the Democrats are basically lobbying for no ceasefire, which we said previously, if you were listening in the first hour, I explained how that is implicitly endorsing uh, ongoing bombing of civilians, innocent, defenseless civilians uh, in the Gaza Strip. And now in the West Bank, too, Israel has begun bombing and attacking uh, the native population, the native Palestinians in the West Bank as well. So the Democrats are endorsing all that. They're saying you know, indefinite bombing campaigns are good. Therefore, no ceasefire and keep keep the aid from coming in, block the aid. And we endorse Israel's siege, cutting off food, water, medical supplies. We Democrats, we 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 agree with that. We endorse endorse the siege so that, that that's implicitly the position they're taking by blocking a ceasefire and not putting pressure on the White House to bring this craziness position they're taking by blocking a ceasefire and not putting pressure on the white house to bring this craziness to an end to bring this madness to an end because it does have the danger of triggering further escalation and going into a world war three scenario what are we looking at now look at what's happening in lebanon you heard the last segment that's maro osman on the ground on the border of lebanon and occupied palestine occupied by the israelis occupied Lebanon. Yes, Israelis are also occupying Lebanese land. And they're occupying 
Syrian land, as well as Palestine. So think about that, okay? That has the potential to escalate. This can cascade into a wider war. It's already happening. So the more they dither and um and ah in Washington, and the more they sit back trying to play all sides against each other in London, which they do very skillfully, and look for their opportunities to advance their interests. And as long as Ursula von der Leyen, who is really the sort of premier fascist right now in terms of the Western scene, uh, politically speaking, uh, she's also all for the war. She was endorsing it from day one. She actually got on a plane, flew to Tel Aviv in order to rubber stamp the genocide in Gaza. She was very excited about it. She couldn't stop talking about how great this was to see northern Gaza flattened. Of course, she didn't say that specifically, but by not calling for a ceasefire, by endorsing the Israeli massacre, you are basically endorsing a genocide. Just saying. So I don't make up the facts. That's just the way it looks. To the average observer, like who are we? We're just the average observer really here. Uh, we don't have any uh, skin in the game other than uh, the United States is providing all the bombs, all the weapons, the jets, and the targeting information for the Israelis. Of course, we don't have any skin in the game, do we? So news updates here. This is how, how, how old is this story? Let's take a look at this. Five minutes old. This is off the news wires. Around 1,000 boats will set sail from Turkey to Gaza this week in defiance of Israel's naval blockade. Turkish news site Haber 7 has reported. Now we need more confirmation on this. Claiming that the boats will carry 4,500 people from 40 different countries. This is a massive flotilla, ladies and gentlemen. 1,000 boats from 40 different countries. This is the little ships. This is the humanitarian little ships of Dunkirk. Said that the organizers of the flotilla aim to stop in international waters off the Gazan coast, block shipping lanes into Israel to protest the Israeli military operation in the Palestinian enclave. The sailing is being organized by Mavi Maram. Mar- Mar- Marara, Marmara, Mavi Marara. That's a tongue twister. Mavi Marara Freedom and Solidarity Association, which took part in a similar flotilla in 2010 to deliver humanitarian aid to Gaza. The operation ended in tragedy when Israeli commandos stormed the boat and shot Turkish civilians, murdering them in cold blood. That actually happened. So that's what happened. Last time somebody independently tried to bring aid to the Palestinians and break the siege of Gaza, which has been going on for 17 years. The IDF stormed the boats and shot people. Just so you know, this is how Israel works. So now they're saying they're going to block shipping lanes. So this is going to get interesting. So Israel will have to retaliate militarily with their very small naval forces. This is going to create a lot of problems for Israel. So this is being proposed strictly following international law, off Israel's territorial waters, so legal, and would not carry even a single pocket knife, they said. In other words, nobody will be armed. So if this is true, this is uh, 
it's a big operation. Obviously, it's going to require a lot of coordination. We'll see if this is more than just a press release. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on that for you. Uh, and just off the news wires just 15 minutes ago, Russian President Vladimir Putin will take part in an extraordinary video conference with the BRICS nations, an emergency summit to talk about what's going on in the Middle East. This will be with BRICS leaders, and they'll be focusing a lot about what's happening in Gaza, the escalation, and so forth. Uh, this is going to be chaired by somebody who's really emerging to be a great international leader in terms of geopolitics more and more so from the African continent. We're talking about South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. And he is inviting leaders from Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, the United Arab Emirates, as well as UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez, along with the usual BRICS members. Now, this is very significant. Let me tell you why. Because for a major BRICS summit to convene with this level of international actors and then to invite the UN Secretary General to take part in that conference, what that does, it confers some status upon the BRICS organization of countries. And the West like to dismiss the BRICS as insignificant, uh, not 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 really relevant. It's not a real organization. What BRICS is, and what you got to understand is this: BRICS is a network. BRICS is a network. It's a network of countries, just like the G7. You understand? Just like the G7, just like the G20. It's a network of countries where they get to have a conference to discuss important issues. Now, some of these countries are not afforded a platform at the G7 or the or some of the, the, the great G meetings. They're not members of NATO. So where do they go to settle disputes and to devise cooperation, strategy, and humanitarian aid in this case? Uh, where do they go? They go to BRICS. There, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. BRICS has arrived. BRICS has arrived. So that's what's going on there. So look, we, we could get into a lot of these different issues and stories. Um, we're going to have to take a break, however, in a minute. But before we do that, I want you to play this. This is from a UN Special Rapporteur on Palestine. Uh, she is talking about the international law case for the Palestinian question and, and really clarifying where things stand illegally. Francesca Albanese, UN Special Rapporteur for Palestine. Listen. Uh, um and uh, I understand that practice, my, the state practice might diverge, United States and Iraq, but the law remains the law, and this is what we should follow. So um, the right of self-defense can be invoked when, uh, when a state is threatened um, uh, by another state, which is not the case. Israel has not claimed that that has been threatened by another state. Uh, it's, it's been threatened by um, by an armed group, qualified the way you want, but it's an armed group within the occupied territory. And frankly, even saying the war between Gaza and Israel is wrong because Gaza is not a standalone entity; it's part of the occupied territory. But so, in particular, the Israel cannot claim the right of self-defense uh, against 
a threat that emanates from the territory it occupies, uh, from a territory that is kept under belligerent occupation. And this is not only this exists in the jurisprudence of the ICJ uh, in general, it's also been said in the case of the occupied Palestinian territory. So under international law, that's the definition there. It's right in there. So Israel does not have the right to defend itself under international law because they're the occupier. However, Palestinians have a right to defend themselves because they are being occupied under a belligerent occupation. There it is, right from the UN's head on the issue. So make of it what you will, folks. We're just providing facts. Let's take a break here with TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back after these messages with our special guest, Nico House. Stay right there. TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. I don't know if you're aware of the so-called protests that took place at the gates of the White House, where uh, red paint, supposed to be blood, was uh, thrown at the uh, gates. The gates were being um, grabbed and, and shaken back and forth. Uh, you had F Israel painted on uh, on the wall of a building. You had a statue in Lafayette Park defaced. You also had chants of F Joe Biden. And yet, with all that, and I think of January and there were some people who deserved to be arrested, certainly on January 6th, but they're still going after people who simply walked into that building and did nothing. Uh, And yet you had one person arrested during that whole episode that I just described in Washington, D.C., at the gates of the White House and in Lafayette Park over the weekend, Saturday. It sounds pretty incredible. The Steve Malzberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Council and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at, and then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. It sounds pretty good. It sounds real, dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. We're in hour number two of this live broadcast. Appreciate you guys joining us. And big hello to everybody uh, in the TNT chat community. We see over 120 people in there earlier in the program. It's great to see the numbers rising in the chat community. That's where you want to be if you're listening on the URL or on the TNT radio app, which you can download on Google Play or on the Apple App Store as well. So get the TNT radio app. Pump that through your car stereo via Blue. Bluetooth. You can listen live or listen to the podcast afterwards uh, in the archives. Now, I want to welcome to the program a very special guest. Uh, he is a American political commentator, and his venue is Mikasa Sukasa Network there. And he is joining us on the live link right now. Nico House, thank you for your time today. Great to have you. No, I appreciate you having me on, Patrick. Thanks, man. Although uh, I represent a fly different banner now. We're uh, I'm uh, at Hotspot Media. And uh, my new podcast is actually called For the People Podcast. Um, but yeah, man, you know, I had took a little two year break in, you know, because things are crazy. Things are crazy. But I'm back. <laughs> I noticed that you you you've had a low profile for a while, Nico, and uh, you've you've reemerged uh, is a really strong voice, uh, really opposing what's going on right now. Uh, in Gaza, at the hands of the Israelis and the U.S. government, but but also in in defense of the Palestinian people, and your video content is has really been on point, um, and a lot of people have been noticing this and been retweeting it. How's the reaction been from you? Uh, your your reporting on this issue. You're right. A lot of people have been noticing it, including Instagram, who just removed several of my videos and oh, <laughs> shadow banned really? me. Yeah, like on Friday. On Friday, they removed my videos, and then like anybody I was collabing with, they removed all their videos and gave all of us strikes. It was kind of crazy. I knew, and it's funny because I actually had put off putting content on Instagram and TikTok because I knew that they were going to be on it a little bit harder than maybe Twitter would be. Um, and I was right. I knew it was like I got like another one video with like one hundred and fifty thousand, another one with two hundred thousand views, another one with one hundred and fifty thousand, like back to back to back. I knew they weren't going to let it slide, and it was actually quoting. Peretz news like it wasn't like I was they said I was sympathizing with terrorists or like whatever nonsense they tell you but I was quoting mainstream media um and when I tried to appeal they weren't having it but from from the average person you know it's they've been I've, I've gotten a lot of positive reactions a lot of people were saying they didn't know you know things about like the gas field the oil uh, the the natural gas field and its connection to Ukraine and the Russia situation and how uh Israel and Egypt made a plan to specifically uh, make sure that they can shore up the natural gas situation in Europe because of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. The fact that, let's be honest, Ukraine's getting their ass handed to them and they're about to lose. And really the world, or at least that part of the world, is going to be subject to the whims of Russia at the end of this. And they and the plan was actually always, even before the situation started, it was always to take Gaza's gas and, and, and sell it that way. So um, there are a lot of people who have been talking about just the amount of information that they've been able to get in a very short amount of time from those videos. And I'm happy to, to contribute in whatever way I can, since we can't actually go fly over there and do anything. So, yeah, it's been, it's been really uh, good as well. Yourself and others have basically say as the reports, new information's come out, basically, you know, debunking and, and really shedding light on what really happened on October 7th, because as you know, mm -hmm. the initial reports came out and we have these uh, narratives about massacres, but then you, the details come later and it's a different story, but yet the, the, the horse is already bolted from the barn at that point. 
uh, the yeah, that's Israel, right? Machine. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> as I said, that's, that's Israel, right? Every time they come out with an initial story, I just assume that it's a lie. That's basically how I how I draw every conclusion when it comes. When they said 1400, I said, oh, I don't really believe that. That's the first thing. I, I didn't tweet that initially. But, you know, when I was talking to my friends and family about it, I was like, I don't believe that 1400 number. Um, just from, I mean, I've been to raves before. And at first, remember, they weren't even reporting on the kibbutzes. They were only talking about the rave at first. And they were claiming that 1,400 deaths came straight out of the rave, but then it wasn't making sense because they were saying that kids were being kidnapped and babies were being kidnapped. So when you start realizing, one, to kill 1,400 people at a rave, it's crazy because in New York, they don't even have raves like that big. And that would be killing basically everyone at the rave. But then when you combine that with the fact they were saying that babies were being kidnapped, it's like, hold on. Well, how did that happen? Then they eventually brought up the kibbutzes. But what happens, as you well know, when you bring up the kibbutzes, then you start looking up the hostages from the kibbutzes. They start telling you that the IDF was killing Israeli civilians. Right. So that's so you start figuring out the real the reason you the reason it's easy to debunk Israel's propaganda is because you start asking, well, why wouldn't they want people to know about this? And then you start figuring out things like that 1400 number has actually been significantly reduced by Israel's own count. Then you start doing the math on how many people were killed by the IDF, whether it be by artillery fire, by uh, Black Hawk fire, um, or excuse me, Apache fire, uh, or by the IDF's own soldiers. And you start doing the math and you start to realize mm, it looks like most of the civilians could have been killed by Israel. That's the that's the wildest part about this whole situation. And people are slowly and uh, slowly, uh, but surely getting to the conclusion that, wow, I think that Israel might have killed most of these people. And, and it's not going well for Israel right now. This is, a, this is a debate that I'm engaged in right now. People are sort of even some of my colleagues, my friends, my 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 political allies are kind of coming at me. Some of them attacking me, saying, "You know, you you're denying that there were massacres on October 7th, and you're you're denying the atrocities." I'm an, I'm an atrocity denier, and I'm just saying. And Roger Waters said the same thing, Nico. He said, "Look, we 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 need to know the facts. Can we just pause?" Dis discover what happened and then we can make draw our conclusions from it that's all that's all we're doing yeah. but that's not enough why is that not enough and they want you to rush to the conclusion right they want you to rush to the conclusion that there were atrocities because they want you to rush uh what they want you to rush to um back the justification for the atrocities that they're about to commit like we saw with syria right whenever there was those alleged uh gas attacks even under trump and before there was ever an investigative team able to make it out there, they just started launching missiles at Syria. And then we later find out very soon after that um, ISIS troops end up basically using that blast fire for cover in order to move in closer towards Assad and take over territory. So it basically looked like that the United States, as expected, was just laying down cover fire and needing an excuse to be able to do so without raising concerns. So they want you to rush to the conclusion so that they can rush to the justification. But when you say, hey, let's take a step back and you know assess the facts and wait for the facts to come out, that creates um, doubt. Right. Which in skepticism, which you should have with any situation. It, I didn't just block. I didn't like I didn't blindly believe that fourteen hundred people uh, were killed. I didn't I don't blindly believe anything that comes out of any situation, including with Palestine. But I do believe in history. I do believe in patterns. Um, and I I mean, just as a backstory. So I was actually once engaged to a Palestinian. Um, and to this day, we're actually still friends. And so I was one of those people who was like, 
well, you know, it kind of sucks what's going on in Israel. Like, I wish that it wasn't going. She was like, that's not true. And I was kind of confused because she doesn't pay attention to anything political whatsoever, even in most of the situations in the Middle East. She's like, my family had had to move to Jordan because they were basically kicked out of Palestine. The ones who weren't kicked out were killed. And she's like, a lot of people I lived in. Um, I, I, was, I graduated from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So I was in Raleigh a lot. And a lot of the people, the Arabs there are Palestinian. She's like, a lot of them ended up here um, by way of Jordan or by way of Gaza because of everything that was happening. She's like, we didn't want to leave. Most of them didn't want to leave. And it made me really rethink because she knew that I was in the politics. And she was like, well, you don't believe anything that the mainstream media says about anything else. I was like, that's true. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's true. And she was like, so why would you, you know, be compelled to believe these lies specifically? I was like, that's also true. That's it. It made me rethink my entire the, my entire perspective on the situation. And when I when I was able to take a step back and just look at the logic, I was like, that is true. Why would they be so like adamant about pushing a pro-Israel narrative? And it's like, well, that's the same reason they 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 use to justify the hundreds of thousands of deaths in Afghanistan, the hundreds of thousands of deaths in Iraq. Um, and they never talk about those massacres because that is those are that is a massacre. Hundreds of thousands of people for any reason uh, of civilians, even if the war was justified, hundreds of thousands of civilians dying would still be a massacre. And those words weren't even justified. And she's like, but they care about the maybe 10 or 15 alleged uh, deaths from Israel um, while completely ignoring all the deaths uh, or kidnappings that take place in Palestine by the hands of Israel. So it really made me take a step back and kind of like start like, you know what, maybe we should start waiting to see the facts before just reacting to whatever uh, Israel Netanyahu says uh, on the news. You bring up a good point is that whenever something happens, whenever there's a major crisis or an incident or an alleged, you know, chemical attack, or in this case, a uh, so-called terrorist attack by Hamas, we can debate about the particulars, but there's this rush to bomb. It's like there's a window that they need to sort of deploy and go in with Absolutely. full force. And anything that delays that threatens that military action really in the kind of public conversation. And we see this time and time again, Nico, is this rush. And how so how important is the media and propaganda in, in, in this equation? Because I think we're still at, we're fighting this information war once again, even though yeah, we've, we've yeah. managed to prove it wrong in the past. But go ahead. Yeah, we don't really have a fourth estate anymore, at least not as far as the mainstream media is concerned. They're effectively an arm of the military industrial complex through and through. Um, their sole purpose is to sell you war and to sell the justification for war. And it hasn't always been like that. Um, I would say there was there were people who legitimately believed in wars in the past. But now you can almost make an argument that the majority of people in the mainstream don't even believe in the wars that we fight or the wars that we contribute to. But they know that they have to say it. Because, well, they can lose their jobs. Like, I mean, well, look at what Van Jones did. They, they basically castrated that man. I used to defend him so much because I understood, like, being in that space that he was in, he was trying to toe this line. Um, and being a black man in that space, it's quick for them to be to remove you. I, I, gen, I genuinely get that, especially when you're, the, you're trying to build uh, genera generational stability. And you're the first one to do that. But lately, um, it's been hard to defend him, especially when he came out and said, well, we have to stand against Muslims. Like, that's insane. Um, and they try his black face out there uh, in order to legitimize a very illegitimate conflict. So um, we we, though, have a different role um, in, a, in, a, in an important role, because as quick as M MSNBC or Fox News or CNN can get out propaganda, 
we can get it out faster because we're not bound by, um, you know, by, by show times and got to be there at nine o'clock. And, you know, by the time we debunk something, you know, they might've released some information that night. We get on there, we'll debunk it in five minutes. They have to wait to the next, you know, the next day completely or two days later to try to, to try and re reassert whatever that claim they were making, but it's too late by then. The, the debunk train is already starting. It's usually because of independent journalism. Um, I would say that it's really been a team effort. I mean, I'm sure you probably agree. You know, there's no way for us to know all the information about Israel and Palestine uh, individually. Um, you know, but I think people like Max Blumenthal, Dan, uh, Norm Finkelstein, obviously, Glenn Greenwald, um, yourself. I mean, there's been so many people who are great. George Galloway, like, just been putting different pieces together to allow others to add to that puzzle. And the picture has become very, very clear since all of this started. And that is that Israel has unequivocally committed war crimes. <clears throat> They're lying. And I mean, I, I, I can't, I don't know how else to put it. They are lying at every single turn. Every time it's, and it's weird because it's like, they think they can get away with it, which is why they do what they do, right? Because before, I guess you could say that they have been able to get away with it. If we're being honest, right? Because the world wasn't paying attention. Not a single time in the history that I could think of that I've been alive to witness has Israel Palestine ever affected the election. And I've always said, that's why it's been allowed to persist is because people don't care about it enough. Um, and now they do. And look what happened. Biden is literally losing all of his Arab support immediately, probably losing a lot of his Muslim support in general. So we're at a point where Israel and Palestine is affecting the outcome of the election. And to be to be completely honest, this is this is how you get change is because even though, who know, you know, obviously we don't really have much control over the elections in the United States, but um, we do know that they still will adjust because they're worried that the perception can affect the, per the, the perception of the issue, can't affect the perception of the outcome and you can lose your mandate to do things that you wanna do. And so I don't, I don't know how, I mean, there are Trump supporters jumping ship. Like I've seen Trump supporters jumping ship. I've seen obviously Biden supporters jumping ship. This is one of those issues that you could probably liken to, you know, the Iraq of my generation, the Afghanistan of my generation. Um, these kids are witnessing this. And they're seeing like, OK, these are lies. These people are lying and they continue to lie. And you can tell Israel just has not had enough practice having to justify their atrocities because the U.S. is either running propaganda for them or they just come on the news. They make their statement and the world isn't paying attention. So it just is allowed to persist. And that's not the case anymore. And it just looks like they just never had the practice because everything has been debunked in real time. The other thing is in the past, Nico, that this conversation has been moderated by through like either, you know, certain um, political institutions or, you know, lobbies or the mainstream media. But it seems like just looking at TikTok as an example, I know you understand that world because you produce mm -hmm. content on that platform. Um, it's almost like that to young people, they've got a direct they've got direct connection to each mm -hmm. other and then they can they don't need to go through any kind of you know and, and they can also they can also detect astroturfing um a little yes, bit better quick now. so 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 tell us how that because it's very hard to control this is this where all these supports coming from is this why the streets are full of protesters more than previous anti-war demonstrations even in the u.s you couldn't yeah. get people out to an anti-war demonstration look at this now Go facts ahead. no that's 100 percent true and uh i would say with tiktok specifically uh it's it's interesting because it's not just the kids 
who are able to access the information and they can then go verify because they're already not watching the news as it is. Nobody's watching mainstream media as it is. So they're getting the news from somewhere and they go to TikTok and they'll see the patterns and they'll check the information and verify. And then they even add to what they've learned. So it's almost like this, this, uh, it's like a um, butterfly effect, if you will, where they just keep adding and then they add to the ripple and then they add to the ripple. And next, thing you know, that ripple becomes a wave um, and it becomes an ocean uh, of support, in this case for Palestine. And I would even make the argument that what also helps is the fact that um, Palestine or Palestinians rather have access to TikTok, whereas they didn't have that before. Right. So that like, I don't know if people know, but Israel was controlling a lot of the Palestinian content that was running through Facebook, like li literally, like, I don't know if people know that profiles are getting deleted and everything. Same thing to some degree through Twitter for a very long time. Um, TikTok, my assumption is because um, it being owned by a different company, having a different parent company than Meta. Um, and then obviously at one point, Twitter was owned by Saudi Arabian royal family. So they're basically in the U.S. pockets too. Like TikTok is unique. And they, Palestinians have been allowed to tell their own story while people are watching. And then it's trending on top of that. So the first time that Palestinian story was allowed to trend, the world has been witnessing it in real time. And they're disgusted by what they've not only seen, but what they've never known about. That's why I think that they're disgusted because it's, 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 it's almost deeper than what's happening right now. It's the fact that they're like, how the hell did we not know this? I thought that you people were supposed to be the good guys, or I thought that the government, the news was supposed to be doing its job and covering massacres. And then people were learning that like, oh man, this, these, these atrocities are not limited to, uh, to the last month, but rather they've been ongoing for 75 years. They're seeing the old videos of IDF bragging about the massacres that they've committed. They're seeing the videos of Netanyahu and other Israeli leaders talking about genocide out in the open or justifying bombing hospitals and ambulances. Um, and they're also seeing they're they're testing the the claims in real time, right? Like the they they said that they're what remember when they were bombing at first they were denying that there was any bombing of Al Shifa hospital, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It was Al Shifa that they were like, no, that they, we didn't bomb it, but then they went on to justify the bombing and then also went on to bomb four other hospitals, like at the same time. And then they said, Well, now that you're upset about it, I guess we have to come up with an excuse. We know that Hamas is is has tunnels under the hospital. And that's why we bombed the hell out of it and raided it. And then they get there and it's been days and no tunnels were produced. None. And, and by the way, other doctors from outside of Palestine have already confirmed like there is no Hamas in that hospital. I don't know where they're getting that from. And of course, they haven't been able to produce tunnels. They, and there's, you know, because the way that they made it seem like is this if this is a main I don't know who's watching the show has been in the military. But when somebody says that this is a, a military hub, that entails a lot of things like it ain't like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it ain't like there's a, f a few weapons here. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's like you have an armory, you have equipment, you have a, like a station set up and it's, it will be very clear and easy to show you that this is a military operation. They're using this hospital for military purposes, but they can't do it because it isn't happening. So now people are retroactively going back and be like, well, hold the hell up. This is the excuse that y'all use to bomb the other hospitals. This is the excuse y'all use to bomb refugee camps. So is all that lies too? Well, yeah, it probably was, if we're being honest. So they, at this point, Israel's screwed. They can't go back. Nobody's going to believe anything they say. Yeah, and that's the whole human shield. You know, Hamas is using the people of Gaza's human shields. Well, if you can't find Whatever that Hamas, means. then 
Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous <laughs> like, argument. Like, can we get know? the video? Can we get the video of this or a photo of Hamas like holding people hostage and like? No, I'm not saying that Hamas is altruistic in any way, but I'm just saying if you're gonna make a claim like that, the things that people claim about Israel, we have video of. Also, like literally, there's a video or a picture and a video of Hamas using, or excuse me, uh, Israel using a 13 year old boy as a human shield like on their tank so like or on their own beat so like come on guys like we we i wouldn't even know what that means but it sounds like what they're saying is because hamas is embedded in gaza that that means they're using them as human the uh, the, the um palestinians as human shields but i'm thinking to myself like okay well idf is embedded in all of israel and most of them are idf or have been idf will will be idf or on reserve to be IDF, even outside of it. So by the logic of Israel's leadership, does that mean that uh, the operation October 7th was justified and that Israel is just using civilians as human shields? By their well, own logic, the, that's what it would mean. As the Palestinians say, uh, Israel tells you what happened, we show you what happened uh, with, mm -hmm. with images. And they just say so. But um, so look, everyone's red pilling. Uh, young people on this issue. You talked about TikTok and these other platforms, and you see the numbers on the streets globally right now. And so how does this affect the Democratic Party uh, going into the 2024 election? And I even see them attacking, like the Israeli lobby is attacking the squad, saying we're going to primary all these people because of their position on this issue. So, but the, the coalition isn't, uh, you know, isn't there. The same with labor in the UK. They're, they're getting a lot of heat for saying no to a ceasefire. Literally, say, you know, they're on yeah. record. We, we don't want a ceasefire. How's this, how's this dividing and shaping uh, the, the Democratic side of the election, at least? I kind of know where the Republicans are on this, which is nowhere. But uh, on, on the Democratic <laughs> right. side, what, what's your assessment? It's uh, pulling the masks off, honestly. Um, even though the squad has finally come to the right side, people kind of forget that AOC and Ilan Amar were not on the right side of this issue. <laughs> that when it when it first popped off, they were talking, they were condemning Hamas um, and and kind of almost justifying what Israel was doing, and then eventually. When they saw where their constituency was at, they were like, oh, well, hold on, well, we got to change our minds a little bit and, and adjust. So if anything, that lets you know just how um, pro how prominent the, the pro-Palestinian side is within that party and within their electorate. Um, that That's why I think that um, even though we know Joe Biden is firmly pro-Zionist, obviously, he, he's getting a lot of heat because he's not as open about it as he would seemingly be in the past because he knows he's losing he's hemorrhaging support so he's doing this thing where he's like making deals behind closed doors uh making comments uh like whenever he's kind of bum rush when he's out in public he gets comments you know here and there where he's clearly pro-israel but he's been hiding out he's been trying to you know uh pass executive orders like what he did with the um with the aid to gaza or whatever like He's trying to make it seem like he's pro-Palestine because he knows that the majority of his electorate, I think it's what, 80 or 90 percent of the Democratic Party wants a ceasefire. I don't know how you ignore that. I mean, y'all ignored health care and really y'all have kind of been paying for it to some degree. But with this one, this is different. Like I said, and it's it's Joe Biden, uh, the squad. I don't think that the I don't what's what's APEC going to do? You can fund whoever you want to. Nobody's on your side anymore. Right. Before. 
APAC had this really unique advantage when it came to lobbying because you could lobby and then tell whatever lie you wanted to and enough people weren't paying attention for and you could get away with it. That's how they get, got away with what they got away with with Cynthia, Cynthia McKinney, right? There was there weren't there were enough Zionists that were were paying attention that they knew that Cynthia was their enemy, but there weren't enough anti-war activists and pro-peace people that were paying attention. So they were able to get away with it. But now there are everybody's paying attention, the pro-Zionists and the the, the anti-war people. But there are way more anti-war pro-peace people than there are Zionists. And that's what we're learning right now. It's kind of def- this. This is defined. People can't unsee what they've seen now for six weeks. This this is defining the value set of Democrats in America and and liberals, progressives. You know, what are your values in relation? Everybody, to this issue? it's it's doing it for everybody, yeah. man. Every I mean, look at what's going on with Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro right now. That oh, is yes. insane. Like, yeah. I mean, I, Candace has gotten some issues right in the past. I'm not going to take that away from her, but I was kind of surprised. I was genuinely surprised with how not only was she willing to ha- take a stand on this issue and, and and honestly be objective in her reporting. She's been having people on from both sides. I can't remember what the other guy was before Norm Finkelstein, but he was a Jewish Zionist. Um, and um, Norm Finkelstein is obviously a pro-Palestine Jew, but like for her to even entertain both sides is a big deal. And that's actually how it should be done. And I, I encourage that from all journalists, but the fact that she's willing to go directly at Ben Shapiro's neck and cause everyone knows Ben Shapiro has been ducking and dodging Norm Finkelstein. And she has him on her show specifically uh, after Ben calls her out. So in, in her show is on the daily collar for those of you who don't know. And that's Ben Shapiro's daily little, wire. Um, yeah. Yeah. Daily wire. Excuse me. Daily wire. Um, and so that like, that shows like, and you see a lot of libertarians. Um, my fr- hell, my, one of my most conservative friends, uh, um, Jack Pozobic, is like coming out fervently as pro Palestine to the point where he was taking heat. But he's like, bro, like I don't know what y'all expect. Like this, the evidence is right here, right? Like you can't ignore. The, once again, it goes back to this. It's like if everything I know from the government in the past has been a lie, um, especially on major issues, why would I believe that this is, is an exception? instead of the norm right and that's what it comes down to so even on the conservative side yeah the politicians are doing what they're doing and they're going to you know republicans are going to they're going to republican regardless but there are long-term consequences at play for anyone who wants to pick the pros on this narrative and even though it may not seem like it immediately it will definitely it's definitely going to affect the the landscape of politics in general Nico House, political commentator, uh, give us a shout out again about where people can see more of your work and on social media. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Real Nico House, and also you can catch some of my uh, some of my content on Hotspot Hotspot on Twitter. It's at Hotspot Hotspot. It's two words. Um, and uh, we also do breaking news content there as well. Um, you can also find me on TikTok at Real Nico House, on Instagram at Real Nico House, and at Hotspot, um, and on YouTube. At for the people podcast but if you look up nico n-i-k-o-h-o-u-s-c it'll pop up and we'll drop we'll drop those links in the tnt chat community as well i uh, hope you guys can check out nico follow him follow his work nico really appreciate you joining us today appreciate your time and uh, your insights on this issue thank you of course pat thanks for having me on 
Our pleasure, our pleasure. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Nico House, somebody you want to be following on social media and beyond. Let's take a break real quick with TNT, today's news talk, and wind up hour number two of this live broadcast. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back after these messages. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Thanksgiving's less than a week away, and if you're planning on taking your kids to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Parade in New York City, or watching it on TV with the kids, Think again, give serious consideration, because Fox News reports that as of Tuesday, 20,000 outraged people have signed a petition posted by one million moms protesting the inclusion of two Broadway shows in the parade, both of which featured transgender and non-binary performers in major roles. Yes, indeed. Think again. Here's Kristen Wagner with Alliance Defending Freedom. Just another example of an ideological war that's being waged on families and customers are saying they've had enough, but it seems that corporate brands that were once trusted just still aren't getting the message. So I think you're seeing parents stand up, rise up and say, we're going to parent and we expect our family friendly events to truly be family friendly and not teach our children values that we object to. We need to understand very clearly that these ideologies that are being peddled in films and in our school systems are designed to pit children against their parents. And it's time for parents to not stand on the sidelines, but to truly use their influence. Folks, don't let your kids be indoctrinated. Find something else to do. Don't let them watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Make sure you tune into my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. I tell my son, I love you every single day. Now, my dad has never said that to me. Not because he doesn't love me, but because culturally it wasn't comfortable for him. Now that he's a grandfather, he says, I love you to my son every time he sees him. My advice to all the fathers out there, forget the cultural restrictions. They grow up way too fast for you to waste even a single precious moment. Political commentator and investigative journalist. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast here. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you guys. And a great segment before the break. Great commentator from the United States. One of the best, I think, on the U.S. scene and who has a grip on the international scene as well. It's great to talk to Nico House about this issue, especially. This is an issue that has really taken uh, taken hold, uh, really, in places that I personally had not expected it to. Uh, a lot of us who have been deeply involved in this issue, myself, for 25 years, um, I just thought that this was somehow dying on the vine and that no amount of attention, no amount of talking or commentary even the facts and bombarding people with the truth and the shocking horror of life in the occupied territories and the palestinian diaspora uh, for the last 75 80 years okay that that's not enough that wouldn't be enough to, for people to be outraged or see uh, between what's right and what's wrong in this clearly lopsided david and goliath situation this story and i really thought i didn't know what was what was what it was going to take for people to wake up on this issue and then it happened and it's been ugly it's been ugly and i'm not going to say nobody's happy that this is the number one story for the reasons that it is 
In other words, the massacre that we've had to endure for the last six weeks. Nobody's happy about this. But nonetheless, it has gotten the global attention. It has captured the imagination of people all over the world. And it's mobilized people in ways that we can't possibly even uh, calculate at this point. It's hard to measure the effect of this politically. But you may do. You may do after the fact, as uh, Nico House was saying, how this is going to affect U.S. voters on the Democratic side, also on the Republican side, as he correctly said, that people are abandoning Trump on this issue. I mean, this is I know some Trump supporters, diehard MAGAs, America firsters who do not like Israel first. They like America first, not Israel first. And right now in Washington, it's Israel first. As far as the Republican Party goes, it's Israel first. For the Democrats, it's Israel first. America second. Clearly. Clearly. There's no regard at all for what you know, America's Americans want on this issue. It's not not even a, not not even it's not even factored in. It's about what Israel wants. It's what Israel needs. This I'm repeating you the words of US politicians. Whatever Israel wants whatever Israel needs. We won't get in their way. We can let them sort of, you know, turn northern Gaza into a glass crater. And when they're done with that, if they want to move on to the south of Gaza and push the remainder of the population into the Sinai Desert, into tent cities administrated by the United Nations, well, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. And here's the crazy one I hear. And it's usually from liberals, okay, on the left. They say, and probably I've heard these on the right as well, the crazy neocons. They say, well, why don't the Saudis, because they have all this money, why don't they just build them a city in the desert in Egypt or in Saudi Arabia? Why don't they just build them a city and then take them out of Palestine? Because the Israelis don't want them there, and it's too much trouble, and uh, we're feeling a bit anxious and stressed about the whole issue. So why don't the Saudis just build them a brand-new city like Dubai or something, and just move them all out. Just force deport them, and and then you know they'll have a better life. Wouldn't they be happy with the modern uh, glass buildings and uh, modern apartments and uh, you know fake uh, rivers and lakes like Dubai? Wouldn't they be happier living in a plastic, uh, soulless uh, oasis in the desert that imports all of its uh, hard labor from uh, India, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh? Wouldn't we be happier? with Filipino maids, one for each child, wouldn't we Wouldn't we be happier? Why won't the Palestinians just get the Arabs to pay for their new city and let's just ethnically cleanse them? And so what, let's, let's, let's call it a, a humanitarian ethnic cleansing. How about that? That's a good one, isn't it? A humanitarian ethnic cleansing. That could, that could catch on. That could catch on, especially among the kind of liberal interventionist and the compassionate neoconservative. We have a solution. Let's make it part of the Abraham Accords. Let's add another accord to the Abraham Symphony, and let's call it a humanitarian ethnic cleansing into the desert of uh, Saudi Arabia. Out of sight, out of mind. Isn't that what they did to the European Jews way back when? Isn't that funny? It's like history not repeating itself. Everything they're saying about Palestinians the Europeans were saying about the Jews in the last century, last two centuries. So it wasn't okay then, but it's okay now. 
somebody try to work this out. Someone help me square the circle on this because I'm confused. I'm not confused. I'm being facetious. Uh, breaking news. You'll love this. You can say, well, how could feminism work its way into this issue in Gaza? Well, here we go. Here we go. Listen to this. Hot off the news wires. One hour hot off the news wires. The units observing the Palestinian territories had warned Israeli intelligence units had warned the IDF's leadership that Hamas was preparing to attack Israel prior to October 7th. But those messages were ignored due to sexism and ageism. Harat's paper, Israeli media outlet reports, noting that the observers of what they called evidence or clues that Hamas was going to attack on October 7th, that these were mainly uh, manning these posts, these surveillance and uh, information signals intelligence posts, were mainly young girls and young commanders or young people. So the quote here, this is from... Uh, one of the uh, female IDF members, she said, there's no doubt that if men were sitting on these screens, things would have been different, this female soldier says, working in signals intelligence and uh, data collection gathering here. So she survived the attack by the Palestinian. Oh, no, she was just a survivor of the attack on the Palestinian militants that hit her uh, out, her, her base or whatever, uh, on October 7th. So other women who serve in that unit said that they had notified their superiors, their male superiors, of preparations by Hamas along the border fence with Gaza. The group's increased drone activity in the area as well, exercises during which Palestinian fighters trained to attack the IDF's outposts and tanks, as well as other suspicious activities, female troops claimed that they were accustomed to being discounted by their superiors over the years. In other words, they just dismissed them and said, what do you know you should be posing for the IDF recruitment calendars to help us get more people enlisting, you know, coming back from Goa and Costa Rica, some of the young men. That's what they want the girls for, apparently. Uh, apparently, they don't want them for signals intelligence. Now, I, I don't know whether this is true. This looks like... There's a narrative going around that that there was even Israel's trying to use this thing. Well, they had the intelligence, but uh, they didn't. Uh, they let it happen. They were negligent and whatever. And they're coming up with all these workaround excuses here, and really speaking to the Israeli liberals here on Haaretz to oppose Netanyahu. Another reason. So we're back to we're back to partisan and gender politics uh, here. Uh, this is a, just, to me, a distraction. It's a distraction, just completely ridiculous. And when you see these stories coming out of the Israeli press, uh, you know they're dodging the elephant in the room. And the, the elephant in the room is this, and I'll end it here. And you guys have been a wonderful audience. We appreciate you joining us here. If you're listening to TNT, if you're watching on the live stream, we absolutely appreciate you. But again, here's the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is... The pure ethnostate, the Israeli Zionist project, is unsustainable. And I got a news flash. It was unsustainable from the day it started in 1948. It was unsustainable from day one. It was never sustainable. Anytime you go into in a colonial fashion to settle an area and you have to do so at the expense of the native population, it's unsustainable in the modern era. 
maybe that was okay and maybe you can get away with that 300 years ago but not in the 20th century the late 20th century and the 21st century it's just not sustainable okay that is the problem that's the elephant in the room and this is the issue that people do not want to face especially people uh, who believe that Israel is the promised land and somehow that gives them some special ability or status confirmed by God or whoever to basically kick out the native population and declare it your homeland. That's where the problems begin, and this is where the solution is going to be in the end, which is that why don't you just run the country like every other normal country and have everybody living in that territory equal under the law, give them equal rights, give them the right to vote, and let the cards fall where they may and let people have a chance to live together in equality under the same sky. What's wrong with this? This is the challenge of our modern era, ladies and gentlemen. And are we going to rise to the challenge? Or are we going to fold to the old political paradigms? That's what I'm asking you. Take care, you guys. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. You've been listening to TNT. Today's news talk. Thank you, Nico House from the United States. And also, big thank you to Marl Osman, our special guest from Lebanon. Until then, we'll see you same time, same place, tomorrow on Tuesday with another fantastic program. I hope to see you guys there. You'll see me as well. Take care. All the best. <laughs>